It was business as usual for Baker Mayfield in his final game at Owen Field Saturday. The week-long saga of the crotch grab and the punishment proved, at least to me, to be an overall win and a positive for Mayfield and the Sooners as Six played one of his best games of the season. Orlando Brown emerged from the tunnel along with Oboe and Stephen Parker minutes before the game, holding Mayfield's jersey in a symbolic gesture that said, Yes, Baker, you are still the captain of this team. Kyler Murray started in Mayfield's place and promptly ripped off a huge run that set up a Rodney Anderson touchdown. Then on the Sooners' next offensive series, Mayfield entered the game to a loud cheer from the crowd and promptly led OU to another score. You couldn't have scripted it better. I feel fortunate to have gotten the chance to be there on Owen Field Saturday for Mayfield's last home game. He played awesome, and afterwards he took a victory lap of sorts, high-fiving the fans as he made it his way around the stadium. Baker Mayfield gets it. He thanked the fans immediately during his post-game presser, then he thanked his teammates for having his back. Any leadership questions surrounding this guy are laughable. There's no doubt he's the heart and soul of this team and the best player in college football. Here's the best part about Saturday, though, as far as I'm concerned. Mayfield and the offense displayed a degree of professionalism that indicated to me that they're on a mission. The week-long distraction of Mayfield's Kansas behavior wasn't a distraction at all. These guys are here to win a national championship, and West Virginia was just the next team in the Sooners' way. Now TCU is once again in, in OU's way. I know Mayfield and the offense will be ready yet again for Gary Patterson and that Horn Frogs D. I just wish I could have these same kinds of confidence in the Sooners' defense. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Tyler Murray is the starting quarterback today for the Sooners. And on first down, Murray's going to keep it, and he can run! He can run across midfield! He can run down the sideline! Tyler Murray will be knocked out of bounds at the four by Elijah Battle. How's that for the first snap and his first start? Kyler Murray goes 66 yards on the very first snap of the game. That guy who replaced Murray two plays later had a pretty good game as well. That's Baker Mayfield. You may have heard of him. With that, we welcome you into the first postseason episode of West of Everest. Again, I'm Lee Benson, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Grant. Grant, we're through the Thanksgiving holiday. You were here over the weekend. We enjoyed a nice Thanksgiving, recorded the episode in person. Now we're back doing it remotely, and we're talking about an Oklahoma win. How are you doing this Sunday morning? Because, again, we do record these podcasts on Sundays, the day after OU plays. How's it going, Grant? Doing very well, Lee. It was a very, very entertaining game yesterday. Any sort of worry or, or anything like that that we had from the fallout of, of everything this past week, totally answered. They came out, uh, it apparently had no effect on them whatsoever. They came out and, and maybe were, were the most prepared they had been for any game this entire year. Uh, what a crisp offensive performance. They were absolutely incredible yesterday on that side of the ball. And statistically... That was the best offensive performance in school history, and you have some numbers on that. Yes, on a on a yards per play basis. So, so I would say that was probably the most dominating offensive performance in school history. That's saying a lot. Lee, the Sooners yesterday averaged twelve yards per play. The previous school record was eleven point four yards per play at Kansas State in nineteen seventy one. So you're talking about a school record that has stood for forty six years that the Sooners offense eviscerated yesterday, Lee. It was just a spectacular day for number six for Kyler Murray 
and the OU offense. And we talked about Kyler Murray a bit last week as well, actually quite a bit. And, um, you know, you and I both were, were not going to be surprised if Kyler Murray's opening series was going to go for a touchdown. Now, I don't think you and I thought it would go just two plays and be a touchdown. Maybe it would be a nice drive where they get the running game going and maybe Kyler throws a couple passes. But instead, he just kept it on the zone read and almost scored a touchdown. And after the game, um, you know, he's one of the fastest guys on the team. Everyone talks about that. And Baker Mayfield was asked about Kyler Murray and Mayfield laughed and said, hey, did you see you got caught from behind? Well, wow, that was surprising. And then afterwards, uh, I was in the, the postgame room and Kyler Murray talked to the media. And of course, that came up and he laughed. And he the first thing he said, hey, I, I think the I think the D-back had the angle on me. That's all it was. He had the angle on me and was laughing about it. So I was kind of surprised to see Kyler get caught, though, there. But uh, watching the replay of the game, it did look like the D-back took a good angle to get to Murray and tackle him just before he scored that touchdown. What did you that, think? Ah, that was so disappointing. If he could have just made it the extra nine yards how, or the extra four yards, how fun would that have been? Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the place was going nuts. I mean, that was it was a pretty cool atmosphere. It wasn't the same kind of atmosphere as that TCU game because of all the uh, the playoff implications, the Big 12 implications and the fact that it was a night game. But it was another good atmosphere at Owen Field for the final time this year. And that was just the perfect way to start the game, obviously. Yeah, I, I obviously could not have scripted it any better unless, you know, unless you, you want to script it as he, he makes the final four yards. That would have just been perfect Kyler Murray comes in for one play and then has a 70 yard touchdown that would have been hilarious and then <laughs> and, and then Baker comes in yet it was still hilarious that he was in two plays you know a, after the start of the game so uh it worked out perfectly the the execution um on display in that game yesterday was was breathtaking West Virginia's defense did not have a prayer in hell of stopping OU in that game and and it was obvious after the first couple drives uh, they just had no no chance whatsoever OU opened the game. <laughs> this I didn't I didn't know this, and then and so good on you for for finding the statistic. I mean, I guess it doesn't take a whole lot to find. You just have to dig a little bit. But OU scored Grant on the first nine possessions. Is that first right? Nine, that is absolutely correct. And it was eight touchdowns and one field goal in those nine possessions. And of course, that one field goal came on just one play, which was the field goal attempt right at the end of the second quarter. So really. OU's offense scored eight touchdowns in eight consecutive possessions. That is pretty nasty. Pretty freaking nasty. Yeah, and and Baker Mayfield was 14 of 17 in the game. He, I mean, he just played so well. And and no matter what happens during the week, I mean, I I mean, I, I figured he'd be fine. I mean, I, I figured he'd come out and, and he'd play even better because he'd be ready to, to pr- I mean, He's always got that chip on the shoulder. It's a cliche by now, but he always wants to prove people wrong. And if, if all the people and all all the the talking this week, you know that he he thought the whole thing was really overdone, and I think it was too. And I think he wanted to come out and show that this is all kind of like a non-story, all of his his antics, and he was on his best behavior, if you will. And he played one of his best games of the year, maybe his best game of the year. But it's it's so difficult now to say that was. Baker Mayfield's best game or that one because he plays so many awesome games they all kind of run together is that kind of the way you feel too about Mayfield yeah Yeah, I would say let's just let's just say that was a patented Baker Mayfield performance it was ruthlessly efficient he averaged I mean geez I don't even know how many yards per completion it had been close to 20 yards per completion Uh, just a ruthlessly efficient patented Baker Mayfield performance Uh, if we see that three more times I think we're probably going to be celebrating number eight Lee 
And apparently the West Virginia defensive coordinator, Tony Gibson, had one of the world's shortest press conferences afterwards, media availabilities, if you would. And he basically said, I think Daniel Holgerson should, fi- should fire me because because Oklahoma torched his defense so badly. How about that? I mean, you got to love the honesty, I guess. Tony, I think you should probably give yourself a break because you're physically your defense had no chance whatsoever. You, there's nothing you could have done to scheme for that at all. Sorry. <laughs> you, just, you, you weren't stopping them, period. So just uh, to let the audience know who's listening, I only had a chance to watch the first half back. I was at Owen Field, or I guess I should say I was in Norman for 12 hours on Saturday because I got into town super early in the morning, had a chance to talk with Barry Switzer on uh, Saturday morning quickly and, and got his thoughts. Some of you out there may have seen or may have heard Barry Switzer's comments on Baker Mayfield on Twitter and social media. It kind of went up like wildfire. So I was there for that uh, behind the camera as, as he was um, giving his thoughts on Baker Mayfield. So anyways, I didn't get out of Norman Grant until about 10 o'clock last night. And so when I got back, I was beat. I didn't have a chance to watch the game. And so here on Sunday morning, I kind of watched the first half and just I wanted to get us recording because I got to go to work today. So the reason I bring that up is, is I don't have full thoughts on the entire game. But in the first half and what I what I noticed talking more about the offense is that the offensive line really jumped out at me on Saturday, at least in that first half, because that's what I was able to watch back. Just fantastic. And, and just a lot of holes opening up. And I normally don't see that many running lanes kind of when I'm watching back film, but it really jumped out at me on Saturday. And I know you like to look at the offensive line quite a bit. What did you think of the Sooners offensive line? That was the best game they've played this year easily. Um, not only, I mean, obviously they, they averaged almost 10 yards per carry in the game. That's insane. Um, they, I, I'm pretty sure they ran 35 times yesterday for, I think it was 347 yards or something like that, which is ridiculous. Um, and another thing, uh, w- one thing that's, that's been kind of surprising this year about the offensive line is that they've been a, been a little leaky at times in pass protection. Uh, Baker Mayfield's already been sacked 20 times this year. He was only sacked 18 times last year. Uh, Yesterday was the best game they've played in pass protection. Baker was I, only under pressure once, I believe, um, and he easily sidestepped it for for a long completion. Uh, if we see that the rest of the year, especially if we see Baker with no with no pressure, then to be honest with you, it's lights out. It's it's this thing's over. If if the offensive line plays at that level for the for the remainder of the season, there's just there's no hope for anyone else in the country to beat these guys right now. If if they play like that. Rodney Anderson, once again, fantastic, great vision throughout, ran with some power early on his first carry of the game, shedded a tackle near the goal line and scored that touchdown. He's been amazing, four touchdowns again, and uh, I know we've talked about him you know, after that TCU game and just thinking back to the preseason and kind of what we were talking about or thinking that he would do this year. But, I mean, it's it's incredible what Rodney Anderson has done, and, and, and this, this season's kind of been broken up into different different parts for running backs I mean at first it was Abdul Adams and then it was Trey Sermon coming on and now at this stage of the year it's it's basically the Rodney Anderson show what did you think about his performance on Saturday yeah I I think he's he's obviously separated himself uh from the pack you know me I I would still really like to see Abdul Adams get an opportunity but with with how well Rodney Anderson is playing in every facet of the game uh there's just no way that you can take him out of there right now because he's just been way too good um, I, I think it's safe to say right now that he's he's probably one of the five best running backs in the entire country. Um, he, he's, just, he's just a really good player. He doesn't go down easily. Just the amount of athleticism and, and skill uh, involved with him is, is crazy. He's, he's a future NFL player. So just, just add another one uh, to this Oklahoma offense. Um, 
just everything is working right now. Any sort of concern we had from the Kansas game last week has completely evaporated. Uh, just the amount of precision and, and efficiency that, that they that they executed with uh, on Saturday was was honestly breathtaking. They're, they're, and it seems like this has been the case uh, the last, I mean, I don't even know, handful of years for OU, but they're peaking at the right time. They're playing their best football of the year in November, uh, like they always, like like they have you know, recently. And it, it's just, it's so nice to see. Like we said, they're the most effective passing team in the country, or most effective and the best passing team in the country, most effective run team and the best run team in the country. It's insane. I don't know, I don't know how often or, or if you've ever seen that in college football. Yeah, it's it's certainly a sight to behold, and we've been we've been spoiled this season, definitely. Uh, I mean, we've been spoiled. You could make the argument the last couple of years with Baker Mayfield getting a chance to watch him, but especially this year when it's all coming together with Lincoln Riley in his first year as the head coach. Mayfield, a veteran guy, tons of experience, a lot of talent around him. He's played fantastic. So this has been a great a great a great season offensively. Of course, C.D. Lamb Saturday, nearly 100 yards receiving at 92, had that early touchdown, the first touchdown pass of the day from Baker Mayfield. And I, I want to highlight that long catch and run he had over the middle. Great throw by Mayfield. Nice job by Lamb catching it first with his hands and then shedding off a tackle and going towards what I thought was going to be a touchdown, but he was caught. And after the game and the post game, uh, you know, in, in the red room there at, at, at OU is, is what they call that, you know, where they do film and they do post game press conferences. He was asked about whether or not he thought of trying to stretch for the pylon there and score a touchdown. And C.D. Lamb said, well, actually, I, I didn't want to take a chance doing that after what happened last time against Iowa State when he hurt his shoulder. So it shows that C.D. Lamb is, has learned from that bizarre injury he had earlier in the year, and he didn't want to take any sort of weird chances to, to try to score a touchdown there. So it shows some maturity from him and another good game from C.D. Lamb. Yeah, absolutely, and it just shows that it just, just Lincoln Riley can almost at this point just pick and choose who who's going to be your main guy. Uh, they, they they just have a lot of guys on offense they they can choose from. It's just a, a real tall order for any sort of defensive coordinator to prepare for these guys because if you if you try to account for Mark Andrews, then C.D. Lamb's going to burn you. If you try to account for C.D. Lamb, then Marquise Brown will burn you. And if you try to account for anyone in the past game, then Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon will burn you. And then of course, even if you do everything perfectly. Uh, Baker Mayfield still might burn you because he's Baker Mayfield. Uh, it's just insane. And I, I did just want to add another thing too, Lee. Just a just kind of a stream of consciousness thought. I'm really excited, especially on a national level, uh, for the Sooners to potentially get into the college football playoff if they can take care of business against TCU. I'm really, really excited to see just on a national level. Uh, I, I want everyone to see how good this this running attack is because I think everyone probably incorrectly just assumes that this is the Baker Mayfield show and everything runs through him. And I, I think a lot of people are going to be really surprised on the national level once they realize that Oklahoma does indeed have the best running game in the country too. Um, that j just a thought on my part. Um, yeah. Because I, I think, uh, I, I don't think there's a soul of anyone in the national media who realizes that. Well, I mean, in general, yeah. I mean, there's, there is certain people, you know, like Joel Klatt, and Gus Johnson, you know, basically the, you know, the Fox broadcasters who do a lot of Big 12 games and who have done a lot of Big 12 games over the years, that would probably acknowledge that. And they know how good Oklahoma is not uh, outside of Baker Mayfield. But, you know, your point is well taken. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure Kirk Herbstreet understands. I mean, he watches enough college football. He knows that Rodney Anderson, Trey Sermon and Abdul Adams and company are really good as well. But uh, 
outside of that, yeah, I mean, more you know, a lot of people who watch maybe the SEC a lot more, the Big Ten a lot more. There's no way they know a whole lot about this Oklahoma team. They probably just know about Baker Mayfield because everybody knows about Baker Mayfield. So I'm with you. I think that's interesting because throughout this entire year, and especially as the offense has played as well as it has, I, I've shared that thought as well. Like I want more people to see this team play offensively because over the years, how many times do you see it? Or how many times do you hear about this this amazing offense in college football? And it's, it's a revolutionary offense, and it can't be stopped. But then they end up going up against a defense that's a, a high, elite caliber defense. And it always seems like the defense is the one that gets the best of that high-powered offense. But so far this season with Oklahoma, I feel like this offense is an offense unlike anything we've ever seen in college football. And I know that's been said a lot at times. You know, you talk about Chip Kelly's old offense with – the, the the tempo and how that was so different and unique. How can defenses stop it? Even back to Oklahoma in 2008 when Kevin Wilson was calling plays and Oklahoma used a mix of tempo and a mix of pro style with Bradford under center a lot and going out of the shotgun. That offense was fantastic and amazing. But then, you know, once they got to that title game against Florida, Oklahoma was still able to move the football between the 20s. They just couldn't finish inside the red zone against that elite Florida defense. But this Oklahoma offense is so much different than even that one in 2008 because it's even more balanced and explosive than that 2008 offense was and so I want to see I just I really want to see this Oklahoma offense go up against a high-powered defense in a playoff scenario and a lot of people think well this defense is going to take take advantage and and get the best of this offense then I want to see Baker Mayfield and company just shove it right down their throat and put up 40 and just have people that haven't watched Oklahoma all year just have their mouths agape and on thinking oh my gosh this offense really is that good. That's my dream scenario. I know it's the same way for you. Well, Lee, and if they do get into the playoff and if they are you know, in a position to win a national championship, it's going to be because of the offense, and, and that will happen if they are in that position. So it, I, I also think it's ironic, too, that you brought up tempo. Lee, this team doesn't use tempo, really. This team actually goes at a pretty methodical it pace. It can if it wants to. It can. They can if they want to, but they, they usually don't, actually, because I, I think they're they're scared of their defense being on the field for too long. Um, it, anytime they score quickly, it's usually just because they have a ton of chunk plays. This isn't like the 2008 offense that I think you know went really fast a majority of the time. This, this is a methodical offense. They can beat you any way they want. And, and I think I, I don't know if we've really ever seen that, at least not not to this uh, to this degree, um, at least, you know, in the last decade. Back to the game. What do you make of all the chippiness that we saw, especially in the second quarter? And then, of course, Drew Samia got tossed from the game. What are your thoughts on that whole scenario? There's no room for it. I hate that garbage. I, I hate it so much. Um, I, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge believer in cooler heads prevailing. And, um, I, th- I think obviously Drew got, got really carried away and I understand he was frustrated with, with the guy, the guy on top of him probably should have gotten tossed from the game too. I thought that was pretty Bush league that he had zero consequences. Um, but at the same time, I, especially with Samia in that situation, man, he's, he's gotta keep his cool in that situation. And it makes me wonder exactly what number 88 was doing to him the entire game for him to be hot like that. Cause you could tell, I mean, he was hot. Yeah. I wouldn't have mm-hmm. wanted to be anywhere near him in that situation. Yeah. I was in the end zone, the, the South end zone when Samia was, you know, I guess escorted, if you will, off the field. And, and man, he, he was somebody that I, I don't think you really wanted to have a, a conversation with at that time or be, be around. He uh, looked very angry as, yeah. 
as we saw. And and watching the replay, of course, the crowd was not happy with it. And and yeah, I mean, it it sucks whenever one guy gets tossed and the other guy basically doesn't get any sort of punishment whatsoever. But when you watch the replay, I I mean, it looks like Samia's got his his like he's grasping onto the other guy's face mask pretty pretty tightly, and the other guy's not like really punching him. He's kind of just grabbing onto Samia and he's like, holding it's him. Like down. It's like they're talking him. It's like they're talking. And so in that situation. Samia can't take a swipe there. He just can't because the other guy, yeah, he may have been saying stuff and you know trying to egg him on, but once you take that swipe, then you're putting it in the official's hands. And yeah, it's easy for me to sit here and say that. I'm not in the game. I'm not full of emotion and stuff like that. I understand that. It's obviously heated. But when you're the guy that swings, especially considering that Samia was also grabbing onto that guy's face mask as well, it's not like Samia was totally down on down on the ground with his hands free, not doing anything, and the guy was like, you know, punching him or something or like grabbing onto him and like you know moving him up and down I mean both guys were grasping onto each other which happens a lot in those situations so I I kind of understand why he got called for it but at the same time you think why does he get tossed for that and Brian Greasy the color guy in the broadcast was asking that question as well because he's played the game before he you know he he understands how it goes and and there's some there's some uh, reaction to what the other player was doing as well. So he kind of thought maybe it should have just been a penalty for unnecessary or unsportsmanlike conduct. But maybe I, I should have looked into the rule book. But I guess when there's a swipe or a punch thrown, if, and that's what the official thought, then I guess you get tossed, right? I, I would assume that is the rule. Any sort of punch is thrown, you, you most likely get ejected. So I think it's pretty undeniable that that's what the official saw. He saw that little swipe. And I don't even think that we, we saw a great angle of it on the on the replay. I think it I, I think it's I think it's it's pretty clear that he did, you know, do like an open hand punch or a punch there. Uh, we still didn't get a great look of it uh, look at it. Now I'm not saying that he absolutely, you know, you know what? We'll say this. You you just brought up that anytime you do something like that, you're going to put it in the hands of the officials. Rule of thumb, anytime that you're going to do something to put it in the hands of a Big 12 official, then I guess that's just your problem because you should just expect to get screwed every single time in that situation because Big 12 <laughs> officials are are hideous. So I'll, I'll leave it there. I, I think I think the, the, official, the, the referee crew did just an atrocious job of getting a control on the game. I mean, what was there? Seven or eight straight plays where they where people had to be separated because of the chippiness. The based off of you know watching it live, and I, I did one quick run through of of rewatching the game again. Uh, the officiating was was not very good last night. There there were a lot of really questionable calls, and and mostly just in the sense of getting control of the game, they utterly failed. 0% F-minus to the officials for getting control of the game last night. It was it was terrible. A really, really atrocious job of doing that. On the bright side, on that same drive, when everything kind of came back down to earth and Oklahoma was able to run some more plays, Rodney Anderson goes down and scores, on the and, and everybody goes crazy, and Baker Mayfield, for the first time in the game, really showed some emotion and you know ran back to the sideline, pretty pumped up and jacked up, and the entire crowd got excited. So it was... Even though it was chippy and, and that's not the best thing, it, it added a lot of energy and you know and, and some juice to the game at that point. And from then on out, Oklahoma put up what two more touchdowns after that and just pretty much buried West Virginia in the first half. It was quite the sight to behold. Buried them on offense and also there in the second quarter the the, the defense sort of sort of shut them down as well too, just to just to take control of the game and that's I, that the game that we saw on on Saturday really reminded me of just kind of a patented 2008 team performance that looked a lot like them where they basically scored on every single drive 
Uh, it took the defense a couple drives to get acclimated, and then when they really needed to to break the game open, they would just kind of step on the opponent's throats, and um, that's what it reminded me of. I, I thought I, I thought it was a just overall a good performance. Before we move on to the defense, just want to quickly highlight Austin Seibert. Nice 51-yard field goal after Oklahoma got the ball back right there before the half. And after that uh, field goal went through the uprights, the the Oklahoma bench went and mobbed him like they had just won the game. I mean, that was a really bizarre situation. Did that come across to you on TV? Because at the game, it to me, it felt like the game, oh, it, oh my gosh, is, did he just hit a game-winning field goal? Because everybody was on the field. Obviously, it was halftime. That's a big reason why. But did it come across to you like the, the Sooners bench just was celebrating like the game had just been won by Austin Seibert's 50-plus yard field goal? It did look like that. But I think, I, I don't know if you maybe got the context of it. Because I when I, just sitting at home watching it on TV, I was fired up when he made it. So I'm assuming it was just an in-the-moment reaction thing because, you know, they, they get an unexpected kind of turnover right there at half, and you know what, it's it's just on the edge of field goal range, which would have been his career high, which it was. And, I mean, not only did he just make it, he drilled it. I mean, there was there was no doubt. So, I don't know, man, just if, if, if you can add Austin Seibert playing really well to this offense, I mean, that's just, that's just gravy. Uh, that's great. And they must've just been really excited for Austin just because he's, he's, he's quietly had his best season as a Sooner. He's been, especially in the second half, he's just been outstanding. Yeah. I suppose in, for all intents and purposes, that basically did win the game considering Oklahoma went into halftime up 45 to 10. And that was just the exclamation point, a big, big field goal for Austin Seibert. Before we talk defense, I want to, uh, you know, remind you that this show, West of Everest, available on iTunes and SoundCloud. A lot of you are listening to the show on iTunes, so if you get a chance, please leave us a rating and or leave us a review if you have a a couple minutes and you want to give us some feedback. All of the feedback, much appreciated. We take everything into consideration. If you email us, if you give us feedback, we'll we'll try our best to get back to you and, and uh, because really, I mean, we appreciate you listening. And if you take the time to talk to us, we want to take the time to talk back to you. If you want to contact the show, if you want to ask us a question or if you have an opinion on something that you want to you know, send our way, go ahead and email us west of Everest at gmail.com. Again, west of Everest at gmail.com. And I do put the email in the episode details on iTunes, so you should be able to see it there if you can't write down the address. Right now, as we are uh, saying it to you on the podcast. Again, thanks a lot for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, share it with others who you think might like listening to West of Everest as well. We talk OU football here in depth, breaking down game film, giving our opinions and kind of what we think. And we like to think that we're pretty objective when it comes to it. Yeah, of course, we're both Oklahoma supporters. We both went to OU. But at the same time, not everything Oklahoma does is great. And not everything Oklahoma does is terrible. So we like to call it like we see it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, okay, Grant, back to talking about Oklahoma's win over West Virginia. Let's talk about the defense. And the defense, well, still needs to improve. And it allowed 21 points in the second half, only 10 points in the first half. So the first half, I guess, if you look at the scoreboard, wasn't that bad. But that was the most points Oklahoma's allowed in the second half in a while. You can make the argument that, well, Oklahoma was up by 35 at the break, so there wasn't as much urgency, and I think that's a fair a fair point to make. But overall, Oklahoma's defense just is 
is not inspiring any sort of confidence in me at all. I don't know. What? How do you feel? I, I I feel the same way. So after the game, I think my my first thought this was this was before I rewatched it. My first thought was the defense was was borderline atrocious yesterday, especially up front. Um, I. I, I guess I, I just kind of remember West Virginia doing whatever they wanted on the ground, especially out of that wildcat formation. I did go back and rewatch it. It wasn't quite as bad as I thought. They they, they did have a stretch of dominance there, you know, in, in the second quarter after they gave up a touchdown in the second quarter. They they uh, West Virginia went three and out three consecutive times after that. Um, so they did play well in the second quarter there. Uh, there was just there was just a little too many warts I thought that were exposed. And and overall, I thought they played just average defense. Um, and of course for this defense going forward, average defense, I think is going to win them a national championship. So at least there's, there's that to look forward to. And, you know, I, I, I keep, I keep saying it's just three stops per half, six stops total. They did do that last night. And if they continue to do it, they're going to be in really good shape. So, um, at this point in time, we like like we've said it over the last month. We know we know what this defense is. I think there was a lot of hope, especially the last few weeks, that the defense was really improving and getting better. I think they are in a sense, but they're just not. I don't think they're going to put forth a, any sort of dominating effort from this point forward. It's just all going to be about playing complementary defense and just getting the ball back to Baker Mayfield as quickly as humanly possible. And for the most part, last night, I, I think they did what they needed to do. I will say, though, I know total yards is not really a stat that you care that much about, but I was surprised to look at the box score and see that Oklahoma allowed fewer than 400 total yards, 387. I thought at least West Virginia was you know, over 400, if not to 500. So that's interesting that Oklahoma was actually able to hold them to to so few yards. And honestly, too, big plays. You, you wrote here in the, in the episode notes or, or here in our rundown that there was only three plays of 30-plus yards, and they had another one for 28 yards. So basically four plays of 30-plus yards. Uh, it, to me, it seemed like there was more. And, and I just watched, again, I just rewatched the first half. So there must not have really been a whole lot in the second half. And uh, even though Oklahoma allowed 21 points. So, I mean, yeah, that's too many big plays. But I, you look back, and the numbers aren't as bad as it really seemed. You know, when I was on the field on Saturday watching the game, and and it was a game where Oklahoma's rush defense was brutal. It was so bad, and and I came out of the game thinking, wow, uh, they looked a lot to me. And tell me how if, if this looked the same way to you on film, because it, it kind of looked the same way to me for the first half. It looked like West Virginia just watched the first half of the OU Kansas State game and said, all right, we're going to do that. We're just going to do that. That was that was exactly my thought as well too. Um, I don't know how much credit you need you need to give to Dana Holgerson and Jake Spavadol um, over at West Virginia just for their their interesting game plan. I did not see that coming at all. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they ran a majority of their plays last night out of that out of that uh, Wildcat with Kennedy McCoy, um, or at least half of them at least. I mean, he um, had twenty five carries in the game. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, and so I, I think it's pretty clear that they saw something in that Kansas State game. Um, and wanted to exploit that, and, and really, when I went back and watched it, Lee, it really was. I mean, they they were just setting up those blocks really well, and they were just kind of it was hat on a hat type uh, uh, type of play, just exactly like it was against Kansas State. So I will I will give a tip of my cap to Holgerson and Spavadol for coming up with that interesting game plan. I think Mike Stoops even after the game had said they had only prepared for twenty five percent of what they actually saw because they weren't expecting a uh, at least that run heavy. Uh, of a game plan, and I wasn't either. I, I I thought I'd seen enough from Chuganov last week to to suggest that maybe they would take some shots down the field, which they really only took a handful over the game. And and Lee, outside of one play, uh, one long fifty-plus yard completion to 
to David Sills, they I didn't really see a whole lot of receivers running wide open in the secondary last night, which was which was good to see. I want to break down that that play actually, and as I took a ton of notes on it, and it was it was just um, a microcosm of the mistakes and the head scratching moments that we've seen from Oklahoma's defense. But yeah, I I did want to just also bring up or just acknowledge that, like you said, Mike Stoops, you know, he was surprised by the Wildcat, and to his to his uh, defense, I mean. I don't know why you would assume or go into this game thinking that all of a sudden West Virginia would be running a majority of their plays out of the Wildcat because going into this game, there was no evidence that West Virginia even had that in their playbook because all year, obviously, Will Greer had been playing quarterback and they didn't use the Wildcat. They don't need the Wildcat with Will Greer. And then even for three and a half quarters last week against Texas, there was no Wildcat when Chuganov came in to spell Will Greer after Greer injured his finger. So... I don't know why you would think, oh, we should probably heavy, heavily prepare for the Wildcat in addition to the West Virginia offense. Now, go, but you know, once they started running the Wildcat so much and running the same exact play over and over and over again, that's where you can kind of think, okay, how do you not adjust to that? And it just goes back to Kansas State. They knew Kansas State was going to run it all the time with Delton, and they still couldn't stop it until after halftime. And they still, Oklahoma's defense still couldn't really figure out how to way to stop, figure out a way to stop this Wildcat rushing attack and and West Virginia should have probably stayed with it even more than the, the Mountaineers did because it was working all night long yeah I, I agree and and seeing something like that um, just looking down the road it, it opens up possibilities at least worries in my mind because it's looking like uh, a, a potential possibility for for a month from now and, and potentially a Rose Bowl would maybe be against Georgia and I think Georgia is a team that I've seen run some Wildcat this year with Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. Um, and so you know that they're going to watch film of that West Virginia game and know that maybe they can they can get whatever they want out of the Wildcat. So so just going forward, that that does give me some pause uh, just to bring that up. But Lee, you, you said you wanted to break down the that long pass to, to David Sills. I think that was in the, the first or second quarter last night. Yes, yes. So this is, uh, this is going to be film study with Lee here. And... So just to, to set up the scenario, it was third and 11, and Chuganov completes a deep pass to David Sills. Huge gain. You, what would you say? It was 50-something yards? I think it was 51 yards, and then there was a fumble that they gained yards on after that, and then a penalty, I think, added on to it. Okay. So it was a 50-plus yard play on third and 11, third and long. Oklahoma is in cover three. They try and do something different with their coverage here. And they send Kenneth Murray off the edge on the wide side of the field. But it's not really a blitz because on the opposite side, Oboe drops into the flats into coverage. So basically, Oklahoma rushed four, but one of those four was not their best pass rusher. Okay, so that's uh, that's that's the first part of it. Anyways, again, Oklahoma's in cover three. And if you're listening to this podcast and you have the game DVR'd or if you can find it online, bring up the play. And go to the replay because they show a nice all 22 replay of it. And as I break it down, watch it. And you're going to think, wow. Okay, so here we go. Cover three Oklahoma. That means Oklahoma should have three players covering each deep third of the field. And in case you've been listening to this all season long and I talk about coverages and you don't really know what I'm talking about, I just wanted to be very clear what cover three means. So in this case... It's both cornerbacks and free safety Chance Sylvie all in coverage of a deep third part of the field. Trey Norwood had the deep third on the short side of the field. Sylvie had the middle of the field. 
And Parnell Motley had the deep third on the wide side of the field, or West Virginia had trips wide receivers. Now, what, that, what does that mean when I say deep third? That means that basically they're in charge of the deep part of that field. They can't let, get, let anybody get behind them. They basically, everything that behind them in the deep part, that's their job. That's their coverage. So it's the easiest coverage to play as a defensive bat because you're not in a man. You just know that you have a zone, and it's not even like a half of the field. Like, or cover two, you have one half of the field. In a deep third, you only have a third of the field, so there's not as much room to cover. So that's what the cover three means. And I said Norwood had one deep third. Sylvia had the middle of the field. Pardon Motley had the deep third of the wide side. Here we go. A deep pass, like the one Chuganov completes here to Sills, should be incredibly easy to defend because when you're playing defense in the deep third, like I said, all you have is to make sure nobody gets behind you and you keep everything in front of you. But what happens here? Sills catches a jump ball, basically, in Parnell Motley's zone. Now, why was Sills able to make this play? For two reasons. One reason is on the coaches. The other reason is on Parnell Motley and a little bit on Chance Sylvie. I'll start with the coaches here. It all started before the ball was even snapped. It goes back to something I've been saying all year, Grant, with the Sooner secondary. OU's alignment for their cornerbacks is not correct when they're playing cover three and cover two. It just isn't. And I've kind of gone back and forth on this. It's like, okay, maybe I'm not seeing it correctly. Maybe I am not correct on it. But this is the perfect example. This play shows and proves that they are not aligning correctly in cover three and cover two. What you want to have is an outside shade on the wide receiver as a cornerback. That way you can funnel him inside where you'll have more help. But for whatever reason, Oklahoma and their corners always play an inside shade in a zone cover three, cover two look. This gives the wide receivers an easy release to get to the sidelines. Motley is aligned about two yards inside the widest guy, which was the problem because now I'm getting to the second reason. So remember the alignment. Here's the second reason. This is on Parnell Motley and a little bit on Chance Sylvie. Motley did not trust Chance Sylvie's ability to get deep enough in his middle third of the field. And to, to Sylvie, actually, his alignment wasn't great either pre-snap because he should have been shading more towards the wide side of the field because West Virginia had trips wide receivers and no wide receivers on the other side. So he should have been shading a little bit more towards those trips wide receivers because the likelihood of a play happening on that side is a lot greater than something happening on the backside with no wide receivers. So there was no reason for him to be so far in the middle of the field. So two players pre-snap grant aligned in poor positions that ended up affecting the outcome of the play. That's brutal. Back to Motley. He gets distracted by the inside slot wide receiver running a go route down the middle and breaks off to try and help. Motley didn't even see Sills running an out and up along the sidelines. I don't think Motley sees Sills because of his alignment. He was too far inside, and Sills was covered up by the outside wide receiver who ended up running a deep in. This was game 12 for Oklahoma. It was third and long. This is an easy, simple coverage for a defensive back against a backup quarterback, and the Sooners still blew it and made a mistake. It's absolutely unbelievable to me that this is still happening. Unbelievable to me. Because what happened on the play is that Motley tried to help out on a guy doing a go route towards the middle of the field, helping out Chance Sylvie, and he totally abandoned his assignment, which was the deep third on his side, where Sills ran wide open and was able to catch a ball that was up in the air forever, and it should not never have been completed because it was such an easy play to defend, and Oklahoma still blew it. I don't yeah, know if... Like if 
it's just I know that was very long winded, but that's what happened on that play. Yeah, Lee, and I actually I'm glad you brought up that all 22 look because that actually gives you the perfect look at it. And uh, I mean, yeah, Motley I mean, completely blows it on that play. Just he, he I, I believe he follows the inside receiver as he's going uh, over the middle of the field, and then of course, and then he leaves Sills like 10 yards wide open, and the throw was so bad that it gave it actually gave Motley a chance to recover and make a play on the ball, which he still was was not able to do, which of course is tough. David Sills might be the the, the best player in the country going up and fighting for balls. Um but but still, I mean, you're talking Lee, a, a play where if the alignment is correct and if and if Parnell Motley doesn't abandon his zone, that might be a pick six. The throw was so bad. Uh if, if Motley is in the the correct position. So it, it's it is just very uh, it's very frustrating, especially on that play when, when West Virginia gets like 40% of their passing yards for the entire game just on that one play, and it could have easily been avoided uh, just because it, it really, it, and it's it's such an easy coverage. So that, that's just, that's that's not a good omen going forwards, uh, but still, we've seen it all year, so I think we're, we're at the point now where I think we just have to expect it and hope that it only happens, you know, only a handful of times per game because it is going to happen, obviously. Anybody particularly stand out to you on defense for the Sooners on Saturday? Because honestly, no, nobody did. Honestly, to me. not not for me. Uh, honestly, the only it, one of the things I'm I, I'm I'm mystified about, especially over the last month of the season here in November, where's Oboe gone? Uh, he's he's kind of completely disappeared, Lee, and I and I think I I know why. He's he's just he's not rushing the passer as much as he used to. Um, well, just I, on that I'm, play I just broke down, it was third and long. And they didn't. They had Oboe dropping into coverage. Yeah, I don't. Their best pass that. rusher wasn't rushing the passer on third and long. Yeah, I, 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 I just don't understand that at all. And I, I think, I, I think a lot of people had some had some issues with that in the past, especially when they had Eric Stryker playing in coverage too. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm at the point now where I just honestly don't know what to say about it. You, you want your best pass rusher, maybe the best pass rusher in the conference, to be rushing the passer, especially on obvious passing situations. Um, if you're worried about them, you know, obviously knowing that he's, that he's rushing really hard on that side, you can, you can mix it up. You can have him stunt. You can put him on different sides. You can move him around. Um, but as of now, there's just no excuse for him not to be rushing the passer. I, I, I'm sure someone could give me an excuse uh, about X's and O's wise, why in that situation, it wasn't a great idea. I, I don't know if there's any sort of compelling argument that can be made to me where, where it would change my mind regarding that Lee. Well, another reason, too, why it's so bizarre is that it's not like Oklahoma did something super unique. It's not like they dropped him into coverage, but then blitzed somebody from a, a kind of a, a clever angle or they they just know they just played basic cover three and rushed four a different kind of way. And it's not like it was it just it doesn't make any sense. And and to me, it's more so than ever. This defense is it's just a week to week thing with them is like I hope the defense doesn't play terrible I hope the defense doesn't lose the game for Oklahoma because now the teams will start getting even better and once again Oklahoma's got to play TCU again this week and TCU is going to be probably better than the Horn Frogs were last time out TCU basically it's a home game because the game is going to be in Arlington and it's a quick drive from Fort Worth over to Arlington compared obviously from Norman there and, and I don't uh, buy a, that for one second there's almost certainly going to be more OU fans there than TCU fans I mean like, I'd hope so I mean it's, cert- it's like a, certainly it'll it'll be like 75 25 OU fans Lee 
Well, hopefully. I mean, it's a, it's an early kick, 11.30 a.m., so, I mean, that means that OU fans are either getting up super early Saturday morning to drive to Dallas or they're going up early and they're taking Friday off and no, they're going to get a hotel. And Lee, DFW has the biggest OU alumni base of any city. It's, it's well, going to be... Yeah, it, it's, it's gonna be it, I'm not going to say it's going to be a massive OU advantage, but it's going to be a clear OU advantage in fans. It's just a, a much bigger alumni base than the small... TCU has a small alumni base. It's a small school. It's a small private school. Even being in, in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, I... I one, I, I expect I don't expect the game to be a sellout at all. There's not going to be ninety thousand people there. Probably closer to sixty five or seventy thousand. But it's I, it's going to be a majority OU crowd. If it's not, I will be shocked. All right. Before we wrap up the OU West Virginia discussion, you have uh, you've posed a question in the rundown. Does this look like a Does Oklahoma look look like a team that's poised to win a national title? So I'll answer that question for you. I mean. Yeah, I mean the Sooners do. I mean they're they're by far and away they have the best unit in college football, whether it be offense or defense. I mean it's not even close, and they have a bad defense. I mean they have a bad defense that at best can play an average game, and you hope that Oklahoma's defense plays its best the rest of the year, and that's that's not any sort of outside the box take. But yeah, certainly in this in this season, and you've made this point multiple times throughout the last month or so in this season where it's so wide open, there's not really any elite type teams. Of course, Oklahoma looks like a team that's poised to win a national title, especially, like I said, the very beginning of the show in my opening take, the way the Sooners looked so prepared and ready to go, and it was just another business-like performance by Baker Mayfield and the offense. If that continues, then this team, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's week to week, but um, it's, it's looking pretty good right now. Yeah, I think it's looking great. So, you know, I've, they obviously have a good team still left remaining on their schedule uh, before they see, you know, what comes of the postseason. And I, you know, based off this week, I don't think we have any reason to suspect that they won't be prepared to play in the Big 12 championship against TCU. Um, I'm really curious to see, you know, what Gary Patterson has the second time around for this offense. And I, there might be people out there that'll say that Gary Patterson might slow this offense down. I just, I don't, I just, at this point, I don't know if it's possible. I just, they're, they're so fit. They're, they're so physical. They're so precise. They're so efficient. They have, they have the best, the best quarterback in the country running, you know, running the show with just a plethora of weapons where this is, this is a good time for Oklahoma football offense right now, a really good time. And I, and I think, uh, like you said, especially with there being no elite teams this year, I did just want to point this out because I like S&P so much. Updated from yesterday, Ohio State is the number one team in S&P. At this time last year, they would be the number eight team. Uh, so, so that I mean, that that's kind of where we are right now um, in terms of, of that's how wide open this thing is. Well, your so, S&P rankings, too, are dumb if Ohio State's number one. A team well, that's lost two games. Well, it's it's because it's it's because they've absolutely dominated in their in nine of their ten wins. It goes by because they've in their nine wins they have played like the best team in the country. That's why. Like, and it's it like overwhelmingly have played like the best team in the country in those nine wins. It's they've been that dominant. That, I mean, that's why it's it's all about statistics. You can you, you can make up for bad performances with overwhelmingly good performances. So it, it doesn't mean that every, you know you have to take that completely seriously. Uh, but it, it, it's just another data point. As you're talking Ohio State, that's a good transition into the national scene. And I got to say, I 
I didn't get a chance to watch any other games yesterday or uh, on Saturday just because of the timing of the OU game. I got there so early. I wasn't able to really watch a whole lot of the early games. I caught some of the Ohio State-Michigan game, and Ohio State sure didn't look like they were dominating Michigan for the parts that I saw in that one. And then didn't get the chance to see any of the Iron Bowl, obviously, because it was right in the middle of the OU game. And so when it comes to national comments, I don't really have a whole lot. So I will cede the floor to you. What did you see Saturday in college football outside of OU and West Virginia? I, I mean, I saw a, a pretty crazy week, really, if you think about it. I mean, it's the first time the top two teams, the number one and number two teams, have lost on the same weekend since 2012. Uh Really, just a very eventful weekend. It, it really does set up some incredibly interesting uh, conference championship games next week. Uh, of course, in the Iron Bowl, Auburn beats Alabama. Lee, I, I did watch a lot of that game, and, and that was a game where I wouldn't say Auburn dominated, but they were clearly uh, the better team over the course of that game. Just uh, Alabama had some certainly they had some poise issues in that game that you haven't seen a lot from from Nick Saban teams. They didn't look incredibly prepared to play on offense. Um, which is which is surprising, and there, there there was a lot of really interesting offensive calls for Auburn, where you could tell really caught Nick Saban off guard. Um, just just overall, Auburn I thought played a really good game, and and Alabama I think has proven this year that I I don't even I I had gone on to you know this entire season they've been number one for us because just because by default because we've always done like done it like that. Lee, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if Alabama's a, even a top five team this year. They're, they're just, they're, they're too inconsistent on offense. They're, they're so injured on defense, and it really didn't surprise me as that game was going on that Alabama actually lost because Auburn, uh, honestly, just, just looked like the better team. Um, and, and to move on from that, obviously, on Friday, uh, Friday morning, uh, Pitt beats Miami. Um, I well, you and I, you and I got a chance to watch that one. So, yeah, we, so I, we, I, so I did see that one. We we watched that game. I think I had said on uh, on the show for Thursday's show that I didn't think Miami really was a top ten team, and it wouldn't surprise me if they got beat. Well, that turned out to be the case. In fact, they didn't just get beat. I mean, they got they got thoroughly manhandled by. They Pitt. did the they, Panthers they, and 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 Narduzzi, Pat Narduzzi, man, they were they were. I mean, that was basically Pitt's bowl game, and they go out on top. I mean, Pitt Pitt played. A lot better than Miami and the Hurricanes even got a couple of turnovers and I think the Hurricanes even won the turnover battle and the offense couldn't do anything yeah yeah and I and I think we're, we're you're probably going to see a Miami team that really struggles to move the ball next week against Clemson um, I I had been pretty critical of Clemson this year too everyone knows that as well I think this Clemson team is is better than Miami I, I think I think whatever whatever ACC team gets into the, the playoff I think people are going to be really surprised when they get kind of thumped a little bit in the first round of the playoffs whichever of the ACC team gets in I think it's going to be Clemson probably as the number one seed um, I think a lot of people are going to be going to be surprised when when they get kind of run off the field depending on who they play um, so I mean, after that, you know, you have Wisconsin. They they finish a, a ho hum win over Minnesota, thirty one to nothing. They'll be twelve and zero. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they are in, in in the poll this week, especially with Alabama losing. Lee, what do you think? Do you think the the committee will put them over Alabama? Man, I I haven't had a chance to think too too much on it. To be honest with you, the only the only thoughts I have when it comes to Alabama, as uh, you know. Obviously, the the Tide lose, and now the Tide can't play in the SEC title, so their season's over, and so now they have to politic for the playoff. And the more, the more I think about it, the more I think, I mean, you gotta. It, it's kind of hard to not 
include them because of the record and the only loss is it to a, another top team and so in my mind i think okay well if the if the committee is basically i mean the resume's done for alabama and if the committee feels like alabama's a playoff team without playing in its conference title game i go ahead and look at oklahoma who has the same exact record now as alabama both 11 and 1 granted i guess not i guess it's 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 true Alabama's loss is better than Oklahoma's loss. There's you can't argue that Alabama lost on the road to a top ten team. Oklahoma lost at home to an Iowa State team who's good, but not a top ten team. But at the same time, both records are exactly the same, both eleven and one. And I think you can make the argument that Oklahoma at this point has done enough to make the college football playoff, right? So, if you make the argument that Alabama has done enough to make the college football playoff at eleven and one. Why even take into account what happens in this Big 12 championship game against TCU? Because if Alabama had to play a title game, they're not getting a chance to lose. But now Oklahoma's getting a chance to actually lose when uh, one team that is is being you know thought of as this team that that is probably going to make the playoff can't lose. So in my mind, it's like, well, that's a weird decision that for the committee is like, even if Oklahoma loses. To go to 11-2, and two, I mean, that kind of sucks because Alabama didn't have a chance to lose that second game, yet they could still make the playoff over a team at this time. The resumes are exactly the same, except Oklahoma just has that plus one game that that really is kind of unnecessary. So I think that's, a, that's, a, that's my thoughts on that is like, I mean, how will the committee look at that, if, if at all? I mean, it, it's really, it, seemly, it seems that the committee favors Alabama over everybody and that's not surprising because Alabama has been so good over all the years and it seems like the committee has not liked Oklahoma very much so yeah, you would think so, that they so so you would think that they would definitely um, penalize OU but I just think that's kind of wrong yeah we'll see I mean the the committee potentially is going to have uh, some interesting debate coming up here and I think we're going to know more obviously on Tuesday you know when we see where Alabama is Lee but Oklahoma has three wins that are better than Alabama's best win um Alabama's best win is a toss-up between LSU or Mississippi State. I, at this at this point, I think it's it's LSU is probably their best win now. I don't think Mississippi State's that good of a team. They've been kind of artificially propped up by the committee. They're they're a very average team. Um, I I don't know, Lee. Alabama's resume is not impressive. And I know this morning on Twitter, uh, Clay Travis was politicking. You know, in the event that that Ohio State beats Wisconsin, he's saying that there's no way that you can put. Uh, Ohio State in over Alabama and I'm not so sure that I agree with that Alabama just does not have that very just not does not have very many impressive victories and especially now with their resume being complete outside of almost total chaos at this point I I don't know how Alabama gets in I I think there's a lot of unless unless we're totally unless I'm totally overlooking just you know the bias factor and the Alabama factor but I, I think right now what we're seeing is a very similar situation to 2015 if you remember uh with that with that Ohio State team that had everyone back from their national championship team the year before and they were 11 and 1 um they lost the one game in the regular season that they could not afford to lose they didn't have a ton of very impressive wins over the course of the season and they they got lost or they got left out of the playoff now of course there's there's a difference in this year where it's going to be Alabama versus 
in, in this instance, it would be versus a, a two-loss team, but it would be a two-loss team that has a conference championship and also has played a tougher schedule and probably has more impressive wins overall than, than Alabama does. So it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, next weekend is going to be absolutely amazing uh, for football. Four consecutive games starting at 1130 with the Big 12 championship game. Um, all conference championships that are just that all have massive playoff implications. Uh, I, I already I already can't wait. It's it's killing me that it's Sunday and we're we're six days away from this thing because I'm so excited for next Saturday. Here's the thing, though, and you'll hear this argument a lot this week that, oh, if if we had more than four teams in the playoff, this conference title championship weekend or whatever would not be as big. It would not mean as much. And that is bullcrap. That is bullcrap, because if we had a bigger playoff, these games would still be huge, would still be massive. And teams kind of like, you know, let's say there's an 18 playoff. Then there'd be teams like USC and there'd be teams like Central Florida and that that because they got a title game. I mean, these would be teams that could potentially try to play their way into the playoff as well. So all these games would still be massive and still be super excited. So don't let somebody tell you that, oh, uh, more than four teams would be bad because this upcoming conference title Saturday would not be as good. That's that. Like I said, that's bull crap. It would still be great. It would still be amazing. And it's always better, especially when there's so few teams right now, to include even more. And it's it's one of those things in, in sports. Maybe my biggest pet peeve in sports right now is just the unwillingness to get a real playoff in college football, one of the most popular sports in America. And more teams in a playoff would not make this upcoming Saturday any less dramatic or any less exciting. And I just wanted to get out ahead of that because I guarantee we'll hear that talking point come up this week. Yeah, I mean, even even in an eight game scenario, you're still talking about this is a this is a win and you're in type deal for TCU. Uh, we'd be talking about UCF being a win and in with their conference championship. Uh, it'd still be a win and you're in, and probably lose if you're out proposition for whoever loses the SEC championship game. Um, in, in a uh, in an eight team scenario, same with obviously with the Big Ten, Ohio State would not be in if they were to lose to Wisconsin. So it's 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 almost the exact same implications. Uh, for the most part. So I, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of talk this upcoming week. And of course we'll break it down more on Thursday after those rankings come out. Uh, but it's, th- this is the best time of the year. And, and I'm just, I, after, you know, a year off uh, last year, it's just, it, I'm really happy that OU is, is part of the conversation again this year. Um, especially, at, especially when they're at a win and you're in proposition. That's, that's really exciting for, for us, our fan base and our program. And we're just best time of the year. And that's what we've been saying ever since August is that the whole point, the whole, the whole way this this college football is actually as fun and exciting as it can be is if the team that you root for, that you support, can be in that championship discussion as long as the season goes on. And, and we're now into championship Saturday, and Oklahoma is still in that discussion, and it makes everything a lot more fun and a lot more entertaining. And it just makes me feel really bad for – I'm sorry, Cowboys, for like the Oklahoma State fan base, where it's like, oh, nine and three, no Big Twelve title, maybe another Alamo Bowl. I mean, it just the difference is just so stark, and it's not just Oklahoma State. I, I bring up Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State had such high expectations for this year, but the vast majority of the, the teams in college football have these have these thoughts that it's not it doesn't really matter as much anymore because who cares? They're, a bowl game is basically an exhibition game. But not for Oklahoma and not for about nine to ten other teams that still has a chance to win it all. And thank you, 
and even though I'm going to rip on the playoff, thank goodness it's not still the BCS setup where there's only two teams and you know it's the BCS rankings. This is still better, but it could be a lot, a lot more exciting, and it could be a lot better. Um, Grant, do you want to quickly predict what, you're, what we're going to see Tuesday in the the playoff rankings? Or because I mean, I honestly don't know, and I haven't thought enough about it to really give give a prediction. But if if you have, you have the floor. Yeah, I, I think we'll we'll probably see just people move up. So I think Clemson is likely to be number one. The the committee obviously has some sort of love affair with Clemson, and and really they, they do have a good resume. I think I I saw the stat they have they have five wins or they have five or six wins over teams. Um, no, the stat was they have four wins um, over teams that have at least eight wins on the road. So I mean that's 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 fairly impressive. So so Clemson has shown that they are able to win on the road against against good teams and if they if they really want to put Clemson ahead of OU, I, I guess I'm not going to fight it anymore. Um, I think OU is, is likely to be 2. I think Auburn will be 3 and I think Wisconsin will be 4. Um, after after 4, take your best guess. I I don't know. I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with with Alabama and Georgia cuz I'm not sure. That's the thing, man. Because I mean, if if they, if they go one through four that way, so what is that again? Okay, so that's you said Clemson, Oklahoma, who was three? I think Auburn will be three, but it would. Um, okay. Yeah, and I just Wisconsin still just doesn't have the their best win this year is over Northwestern, and I don't think anyone thinks Northwestern is is a particularly great win. It's a, it's a nice win, um, but if that's you know your that's the highlight of your resume. I don't. I don't think that's that's something to really hang your hat on. So, I, I when I I start to look at this more, and I, I think I think even Wisconsin, even if they go thirteen and zero, they're probably only going to slip in as the four seed uh, because their their strength of schedule and their the just the amount of wins they have just aren't that impressive. Like, can you actually put Wisconsin ahead of Oklahoma, even if they're thirteen and zero? I mean, because their their best wins would cancel each other out. So. And after that, OU has much better wins. So it'll be an interesting thing for sure. Well, there's the reason I wanted to bring that up is just that, I mean, in that scenario, in theory, if all those teams then win, went out on championship Saturday, then Alabama's out, right? Alabama's I mean, definitely out. They need, uh, Alabama needs Ohio State to beat, to beat Wisconsin. I think if that happens, Alabama's, honestly, they're likely in, I think, in that scenario. So, yeah, I mean... If anything, uh, once again, another week of, of discussion. It's interesting. It's fun to talk about. Definitely is. Um, just it's uh, it's it, we have to say it. It's it's the way it is. It's the way the rules are now. It's just super annoying that all of a sudden, one year later, where a Big Twelve title game would have actually benefited OU last year, now Oklahoma has a Big Twelve title game and it can do nothing but hurt the Sooners. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, because there I mean, I think I, I think their their resume up to this point is complete. I think they're, you know, even even without playing this upcoming week, I, I think that they would probably be the number two or number three seed in, in the playoff at eleven and one. So, yeah, it, it can only it can only hurt them this week. And but you never know; a lot of stuff could happen. And you know, by by Sunday when they when they release the bull pairings, they could be the number one team in the country uh, a week from now. So you never know; anything could happen. I just hope they they go out and they take care of business and and they've given me nothing to to they get they've done nothing for me to question that that logic over the past month. I they're playing their best football of the year. No excuses for Oklahoma. Even go go back to two thousand second year for Bob Stoops. Sooners had to beat Kansas State twice that season. Once on the road. Once in Kansas City. And Oklahoma did it. The Sooners had to do it. It's almost like that year. 
the Big 12 title game. They didn't need it either because Oklahoma was unbeaten. But yet Oklahoma still had to go in there and beat Kansas State again. Same scenario. No excuses. The Sooners need to go out and take care of business and beat TCU again, even though there's going to be some complaints about how that game is not needed and Oklahoma doesn't need it because they've already set their resume. doesn't matter. I'm confident that Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield will will get the guys ready, and Mayfield always says it, just they're, they're the next team that's in our way to a national title, and the next team now is TCU. And also, I think we need to bring up, too, and we'll we'll find out more about this by Monday afternoon, I would I would uh, suppose. They're, they're, TCU might have some suspensions, and there's there might be some guys for TCU who aren't playing, like starters who, who won't be playing um, on Saturday because of the brawl against Baylor right, right. on Friday. So that absolutely could happen. There were, there were some guys who threw some pretty wicked punches in that brawl, and they, they might be done. And, and I, I suppose also that the same could be said for Drew Samia if he threw a punch. So we'll... Uh, well, well, I'm sure we'll know more on Monday afternoon, but but really, until then, it's just going to be uh, everyone's just going to be talking about it, and and we'll see what happens. All right, that's our show. We'll be back later this week to talk Big Twelve championship game. Plus, of course, we'll discuss the latest college football playoff rankings. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. <laughs>